1: Radio. Ba-doom, boom, 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 boom. It's time for something completely similar. Boom, 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 but kind of also different. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: podcast <laughs> podcast <laughs> podcast <laughs> podcast, <laughs> podcast <laughs>
1: Bow,
2: pa pa
3: bow, 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 bow,
1: Welcome, everyone. Hello. 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 Hello, Hello. Hello. my Coney Island baby. Yeah. Hello, Hello. my Coney Island. This isn't a singing podcast. No, we never sing. No,
2: but normally, what do we do? <laughs> well, first of all, this podcast is called "For Screen and Country." We and can I- tell the title at the end. We could be like a late title card. I don't
1: like no, but you like upfront credits, don't lie. That's true,
2: I do like upfront credits. I, I, but in a video game, I like a late title card. <laughs> but,
1: uh, so you mean just like in the middle, we'll be, we'll be like, yeah, so Michael Caine was walking around for First screen For screen and country.
2: Acts yeah. break one.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm Brendan. I'm Jason. And yeah, we talk about uh, British film on this podcast. Normally we talk about the top 100 British movies of all British time. Yes, sir. But we are taking a little bit of an excursion. A little slip
2: off the path. That's right, baby. Taking the the path loss. Taking the... was it? The the path less traveled? The road less traveled. The road less traveled. Robert Frost shit.
1: Yeah, don't say path. Don't fucking make this folksy to try to win another election, Sarah.
2: I can see Alaska. If I look really hard.
1: Is this turning into a song? No. (laughs) And if I glance out there, I'll see it. The Russians at large
2: yeah they are at large (laughs) we don't know where they are
1: (laughs) i'm gonna win in 08 no you're not gonna stop all the hate Mm. mccain is gonna live to the ripe old age of 98
2: you know what let's let's not talk politics brendan okay well
1: no my name's not brendan uh sarah palin out jetpack sorry sorry,
2: sarah sarah palin jetpack she's not dead how does she have a jetpack She's a
1: Republican. She's dead inside. I understand. Her soul went up there.
2: What soul? Brendan. (laughs) Normally. No, we don't talk about movies. Let's just keep keep going. Just just, do political riffs from 14 years ago? Yeah. Um, On this podcast, Brendan, normally what we do... Is we watch movies on the British Film Institute's top 100 list. And I started we, saying that, but then I did. I stopped. We did. You did not stop, but I'm saying it now. We watch those movies on yeah. that list, and we give our you know unique spin on them. Our our thoughts, our prayers, if you will. We we, which, do, and we do pray about these movies we, constantly. Which much like regular regular thoughts and prayers do nothing. They do nothing, but we do it anyways because we love ritual here at uh, First Screen Country. But uh, and as part of the ritual that we love, uh, we occasionally take a break. And since this is our last stretch, we got one more go. Uh, we are taking one more run at, and now for something completely similar. Our beloved subseries wherein we watch movies that are prequels, sequels, remakes, or otherwise somehow related to movies we've already watched. And that's the way it was. And that's the way it is. Today, Brendan, we are drinking gin and tonic, Tangerine gin and some Big 8 tonic, so if you're in the Maritimes, folks, check out that Big 8 tonic water. And I will just say that I'm coming down from a number
1: of things, so if this had been recorded about an hour previous to this, I don't think this episode would have
2: been postable. What you need to know, folks, is that Brendan does not have the THC tolerance of I. <laughs> and sometimes that means that the podcast starts just a little bit later than it was intended. <laughs> <laughs> I would, but you know what? Maybe
1: we'll just send you a treat one day and have a non, totally non-functional me. That's possible. To a oh podcast. yeah. Well, it's
2: just the, the the day that I have to record the podcast on my own. I'll just be like, well, Brendan ate an edible, so he'll chime in occasionally, and then 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 you will say nothing because you <laughs> won't be here. <laughs> That's right.
1: So yes, this week we are going to start off this series, but before we do that, Jason, just before we do that, yeah. I do want to catch up. Uh we did take a couple of weeks yes. um uh, vacation ish. We had a mini episode. Yes, you know? and it
2: was oh god, it was wonderful. Yeah. It was so wonderful a vacation. I did so much. I saw so many things and uh yeah, it was wonderful.
1: Yeah, and we're clearly not recording this before Never. you left. Never. Never. No, no, no.
2: I just had such a good
1: time. I love everything. <laughs> so, um so before we get started, yes. I just want to finish off the the last bit of uh movies on the list by reading some comments from Oliver. Oliver Jason hey guy we're gonna we're gonna do this we're gonna do this right now oh
2: I mean I I that's why I was sitting here in the first place
1: we gonna read some other fucking comments do we need
2: to be so crude right out of the gate Brendan
1: sorry bony whatever that person's name was it didn't like our scar <laughs> cursing
2: <laughs> Try to be classy for once in your life. You are about to swear. I was, but I've restrained myself because I'm a gentleman. Jason, we need to
1: read comments about Oliver. Let's get into it. Michael All Boyce. Right. Hi, Mike. Michael Boyce says, I'm not a big fan of musicals, but this one has grown on me. I've taught it a few times along with the Lean and Polanski versions in an adaptation course. The Casting of Oliver Reed is a master stroke. He is very good.
2: And they don't make him sing, do they?
1: No, they don't make him sing. No. And I thank the Lord above mm. It was for the best. Mm. The Lord, in which Jason and I both
2: believe in strongly. Well, the, the and Lord he, in whose year 1999 the BFI list was created. Right. Any
1: slight deviation from mm. the Lord's course, of course, the greatest sin ever committed by it's human.
2: Heresy. It's blasphemy. It's it's all the things.
1: Yeah. And of course, um, you know, we're all, we're also uh, libertarians too. Why not? Sure. Uh, yeah. Why not?
2: <laughs> Do what you want, people. Uh, Our next comment, Brennan, comes from Kyle Kepin. Kyle writes, My first thought after I watched it, Why did no one tell me that this is basically Annie with Dutch angles? Has some absolute bangers. Bit too long for a kid's movie, but solid. Also belongs in the pantheon of the, They won an Oscar for that movie, but not the other. Much better one? Seriously, everyone stop what you're doing and watch The Third Man right now. Kyle, we're going to get there. Kyle, patience. Relax. Kyle. 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 Thank you, uh, Kyle.
1: Yes, thank you. Agreed, there are some bangers. Yeah, and, um, and it
2: is, yes, it is far too long. It is very long.
1: Andrea McEnany says, I don't think it was best picture worthy, but I have loved it since I first saw it when I was eight, and I watch it often. And as re- a recent Facebook memory can attest to, I have done the entire rendition of the title song when a co worker has said, More. My co workers put up with so much from me. <laughs>
2: Must be a fun time at your workplace. It Andy.
1: sounds like. Do you work at Google? Because it sounds Ooh. like it sounds like a good time. Do you guys have a ping pong table? I mean, my Google only has table tennis. Oh well, that's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, I, that's not what Google says. Oh, that's true. They would say that. Fucking Google. Uh,
2: Leslie Horn, whose occupation I am not, uh, uh, I've not been informed about, writes in. <laughs> yeah, and because she says, we need to
1: find out where everyone works before <laughs> they send right. in a comment.
2: Uh, writes in and says, "I don't think much of the huge choreographed production numbers, but the songs are all catchy and the performances are great. I do think Jack Wild should have played Oliver, uh, or, and a bigger or older boy should have been cast as the Artful Dodger. I especially like the twist at the end, an improvement over the play in which Fagin merely repents." Sure, I, I like the darkness of the lean version. Oh more no, myself,
1: no, but- I think I think she means at the end of the pl- at the end of the play, he just gets arrested and that's it but yeah. at this one he gets away with it and says i'm gonna change my ways and then he's like no and i'm not no.
2: Yeah. i suppose not uh also i don't know that jack wilde should have played oliver because oliver doesn't do a whole lot and i was glad that jack wilde was you know getting to stretch his acting legs as the artful dodger whereas he probably maybe a jack, whole lot less as oliver
1: maybe knowing his studio pull jack wilde would have called for more changes in maybe. the character
2: though you're like put me fat and out. i want people to see my cute mag do you want to see your kids tonight you won't go home you do what i fucking say right see he got dirty <laughs> yeah stupid kid man 60s child uh, maria
1: moyer and i apologize if i'm pronouncing that incorrectly but uh she says oliver reed is absolutely magnetic and also if i may i also recommend a tv movie non-musical version with tim curry as bill sykes also a treasure
2: Ooh. i yeah, would uh, be mean, all
1: right i mean he could do
2: it yeah well tim curry should play every role all right, Sharon wrote in as usual, and wow, we got a big one here. Sh- Sharon Horwath. Sharon Horwat. The, yeah. the Sharon Horwath writes in, and Sharon says of Connecticut. Uh, Maybe <laughs> I don't know. Connecticut's a cool place, I think. From yeah. what I hear, they've got a steam cheeseburger place there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so Sharon, of course, sends in her uh, notes from from watching the movie and she writes, I wonder if the director of Pink Floyd's The Wall had seen this movie because of the children marching in the beginning of food, glorious food. It's really reminding me of another brick in the wall part too. Sharon. I think that that seems a, a very likely thing, uh, given the age of Roger Waters and and the rest of the Pink Floyd members and where they were when that movie came out. You know, they were. They were making music and doing their things, so the—I mean—and they like music, so chances are they did see it. Is he the one that sings that song?
1: Roger Waters, keep on rolling. Roger Waters, would you keep on shining? No, that's a different guy. That's oh, okay. tribute. Is that John Waters? Yeah. Oh, my bad
2: uh she continues regardless of whether or not oliver's mom was a good person i don't really like it when people speak ill of the dead especially to young children about their parents yeah no that's not cool and we should take
1: the time on that note to say rush limbaugh you know you were you were a heck of a fighter heck of a guy from from birth to death and uh no
2: one time you were mildly funny on family guy because for some reason seth mcfarlane liked you that's weird yeah but yeah no i agree sharon uh Please tell me that the random cut to the owl looking annoyed was supposed to be funny because I laughed too hard. Well, it certainly—if you—if you were like me, it reminded me of a of the pigeon double take. But that's just me. Uh, let's see. Having Jewish talent involved in this version, Lionel Bart and Ron Moody were both Jewish. Really helps bring nuance to Fagin that the 1948 version didn't have. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. It also helps that they didn't put a, a ridiculously massive nose on him and uh, uh, maybe toned it down all a bit. Hmm. Let's see. I know these are obviously all sets, but they're so well done and claustrophobic. Yeah, they are. Yeah. It's, very,
1: it's very stagey. I agree, though, about that. Like, it does feel like you're watching a stage musical. Yeah,
2: but it all works. It feels good. Having Bill Sykes not speak at all during his first scene is so smart. His menace can really last a lot longer that way. Also, cutting his song from the musical helped a bunch. Uh, Sharon, I didn't know he had a song. And yeah, it's probably smart because Oliver Reed is many things, and but a singer, I, I don't believe, is one of them. No. Uh, God, he's so good, but he's so terrible. Uh, I'm curious how obvious it is that uh, Mark Lester is being dubbed by a woman, because it seems super obvious to me.
1: Especially when he sings. Yeah, well,
2: that's what they did back then, you know. It's kind of a change of form from the old days when the- It's kind of a reverse Shakespeare. Well, I was going to say, yeah, in the old days it was the young boys that played the ladies, but now they get the ladies playing the young boys. It's all come full circle. The 1500s were just as progressive as now. I get it. That's right. Uh, the smartest change in this movie makes with the musical numbers is how it changed the "Um pah from a fun second act opener into a distraction song that Nancy performs to allow Oliver to escape. Yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> sure, Sharon. Very, yeah. very similar. I don't have much to add to that. Yeah. Uh, overall, I like it better than the 1948 version. I think you're wrong, Sharon, but I'll keep reading your comment. But most of the numbers don't really feel like they add to the story. They just add to the runtime. um Oompa is my favorite part for that exact reason. Honestly, I wish something like uh, Sing Street, Wild Rose, or Rocket Man was on this list because those are all fantastic. It also has its flaws, but Oliver and Company manages to get rid of some of the problems that Oliver has, i.e. focuses on Oliver as a character a bit more. Sykes is definitely the bad guy, and Nancy isn't a character abused, murdered by Sykes. Also, The Lion in Winter should have won Best Picture. Mm. I'm not familiar with that one. Is that about uh, Richard III
1: I have no idea. I just know that uh, 2001 was nominated that same year too, which is oh, crazy. Wow,
2: crazy that this won over 2001. Yeah.
1: But not really, because you know, you think back. You know, Star Wars didn't win Best Picture.
2: Well, no, but I mean, but, but when you think about movies, though, like 2001 is many things, but I don't know if I'd call it a crowd pleaser in the same way that Oliver would have been.
1: know man seems like a michael bay movie in the 60s to me
2: but thank you sharon we appreciate your uh, input we always like reading your comments
1: and i'll grab the last two here jason because that was a rather lengthy comment. i want you to rest your vocal cords for tonight um pamela miller says it was my grandfather's favorite film he would take his grandkids but he would always rush us out the door at oom papa it was only when i was 20 and he had passed away that i learned that the movie wasn't over he didn't want us to see anything scary i know every song and i still love ron moody
2: that's... I hate that son of a bitch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I actually think that's that's really cool that like a movie that for years you think ended this way because your parent mm. or grandparent was like ah that's the end we don't need to see anything else and then you find out that
2: it was a lie the whole time. <laughs> I had a friend that I uh, grew up with who I went to his house one time and we were watching The Rock. Mm. And do you remember the scene in The Rock where where uh, Stanley gets a blowjob from his wife? Stanley. Stanley. Stanley, oh, Stanley. <laughs> I wish it was Stanley. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, I don't. We're ready for some fun, true believers. Excelsior! it's <laughs> <Rockets laughs> no. away. Anyways, point was Stanley gets a blowjob from his wife, but uh, uh, his dad came in and fast forwarded the scene <laughs> by, which was funny because I'd seen the rock by that point, so I knew it was coming. But then he fast forwarded it; it was hilarious. <laughs> oh.
1: All right, don't forget to cradle the balls, true believer. <laughs> um so it i hope that answers your question pamela yes. uh our last comment comes from peter osayek or osiek again i apologize if i'm not if Oshake. i'm pronouncing that wrong um well they just made them irish yes oh <laughs> uh my friend saw a version years ago where nancy actually lived and ended up shooting bill sykes to death what the hell how they pulled that off i will never know i'd I'm like down. to know what version that was i'm down for it let's do it be sure gr- it's such it just seems to me like that kind of kills the the story a little bit because you're you know you're with Oliver and then he goes over to kill Nancy and Nancy's like no fuck this ain't happening
2: what if Oliver kills Bill and then gets with Nancy
1: um you'd have a, a problematic uh, script
2: Well, what if we make Oliver slightly older what but he's mean- still an orphan he's like 25 but he's an orphan <laughs> <laughs> well now he's older than Nancy by a lot <laughs> now line. he's basically mentally challenged at
1: that point Okay, now we're just making of mice and men.
2: <laughs>
1: Jason, we've come to the final, the final stop on the choo-choo on the on the choo-choo comment train. Whoop whoop <laughs> whoop whoop. Here's my thoughts. Here's my thoughts. Um, this is where we find out we compare. Uh, so this movie, Oliver, 1968. This is number 77 on the BFI Top 100. So I want to find out and compare what movie. Uh, the movie that is on the AFI Top 100, that's the American list, at number 77. Jason, what do we got?
2: This is a movie that I've seen at least some of. Wow. I think it's school. Oh. Huh. Uh, number 77 is the classic 1976. Oh, The classic 1976 Alan J. Pacula-directed film, Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman, you know it, All the President's Men. And the winner
1: is All the President's Men. Yeah. I agree. I, 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 that movie's great. That is a good movie. Wait, you said you only seen parts of it.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah but, w- but what I've seen and of it is great. By
1: default. <laughs> no,
2: I'm I'm uh, based on what I've seen of it, because I watched some of it in journalism school.
1: So you're saying some of all the president's men is better than all of all 100%. Yes. Oliver. Yes.
2: All of
1: Oliver. There's a joke there somewhere.
2: Maybe, but we're not smart enough to make it.
1: <laughs> no, but instead, Jason, what we're going to do is we're going to move on. We're going to start our... our Our journey to something completely similar. Yeah. We're going to talk about Billion Dollar Brain. Jason, that music can only mean that we're talking about Billion Dollar Brain, the sequel to the Ipcrest file. Well sequel in the sense that it's another movie with yeah, that it, character like,
2: like, like a, it's it like, like a james bond movie is a sequel this is like a sequel to the, in the harry palmer series mm-hmm. mm. chronic masturbator harry palmer <laughs> i thought about that too when i saw the name this time for some reason when we discussed ipcrest file did never, that not come up never once wow. crossed my
1: mind i don't know maybe it did surely it must have mm. <laughs> but actually this is the third one so there is a oh. second movie called Funeral in Berlin, oh. which I later learned because there's a scene in this movie where he talks to that guy Stoka, Yeah, I was wondering
2: they're... what... I, I thought, was this just like something from the book that was a throwback to something we didn't see in the first movie?
1: But apparently, no, they, that started in the second oh. movie. So Jason, did, I'm did sorry you, to throw you off. Did you pick this one specifically over Funeral in Berlin? I think this is the one you wanted to watch. Oh, was it? I got you to choose and oh. chose this okay. one. okay. Well,
2: I guess this one had the title that sounded the most interesting. I think you
1: also picked it because it's a director we've talked about many times, well, twice... Uh, Mr. Ken Russell. Ken Russell of Women in Love, and the and now for something completely similar movie we watched The Rainbow. Yes,
2: well, of which we liked much better than Women in Love. Controversially. Yeah, yeah, surprisingly. That's
1: all anyone could talk about right now.
2: That's it. the internet is a buzz. Like, there's still, oh. there's, still t- there's the hashtags on Twitter. We, we get constant abuse.
1: Rainbow greater than sign Women in Love equals communism is what's what right. the most the the critiques
2: that we're getting, which is appropriate given the theme of this week's movie. Hey, I know how to transition. That's right. So this is, a, yeah, this is the sequ- a sequel to, uh, uh, in the series, I suppose, of uh, Harry Palmer. He's a detective at this point, so maybe at some point in the previous movie he got out of MI5 and, and set up a detective agency. Well, that's
1: what they, they say, that because we have the return of Ross from the, uh, not David Schwimmer. No. Uh, Ross <laughs> from, from, from. Look, from we Crestwell. were on a
2: break, okay? Come back to MI5. <laughs> well, yeah. You don't have to come back, I guess, if you don't
1: want to, but... <laughs> oh. Okay, listen, David Schwimmer is my best impression, so I want honest reactions. Okay. So what do you think?
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: That's what, that was what I think. Hmm. I'll take it. I'll just add it to your performance report. Oh, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Belittling Brendan. Um. Yes, yeah, so not David Schwimmer. No. Ross from The Upcrest File, he is... Uh, he is back now i can't stop thinking of David <laughs> he's back as his uh as the, well it was his boss yeah. when he was in the mi5 or whatever and yes he's trying to get him back like we're almost right at the beginning of the movie and actually it leads to a very jokey scene because michael Caine is like the only way you're gonna get me back is if you send two big fellas with clubs or something like yeah. that and then later that's just what he does that's, yeah it's exactly what he does and i'm yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> it's an odd tone of joke for this movie
2: yeah, no, this movie's got, this is the thing about this movie is that I noticed it's got a lot of bits in it and they're funny, but it's like compared to a James Bond movie, like James Bond doesn't really do bits per se. But what, what would you say one of these bits are though? Uh, would you say it's with a bob? Hold on. I, you, you know what? Yes, it's in bits and bobs. I'm sure I've got some bits listed, but he does some bits in the movie. Like some comedy bits? Well, they, they come across as, they, yeah, they're clearly funny moments. Okay,
1: no, I need one example and I want you to
2: act it out for me naked while juggling. So, like, early on, um, a good example, at least of a visual bit, is um, where uh, he's going into the steam room, and they ask him to take off his clothes, and the girl is naked, and his buddy is naked, and he's, like, uh, sitting in front of them in such a way as to cover their genitals. Austin Powers? Yeah. Obviously, Austin Powers clearly drew from that, but, like, the, well, no. sort of a visual bit. Well, no. They had a time machine. Okay. okay. So, something like that. You know what I mean. Yeah. I'm sure once we get to the uh, once we get to the bits and bobs, we'll see more of them.
1: I was going to say that this movie feels more like a James, like a lot more, yes. like a James Bond, straight up James Bond movie than the Ipcrest Fowl did.
2: Yeah. Ipcrest file was a lot more kind of a, like, I think what I liked about it was that it was a more grounded, lower class James Bond. And this, it's still, this is still kind of that, but there's well, more Globetrotting.
1: Yeah. I was going to say there's more like the whole world is in danger. The in whole world movie. is in danger.
2: Well, and also like we had the weirdness in the Ipcrest File of like the weird machine at the end that was like brainwashing people or whatever. And this one's got some weirdness too with the, this. I guess AI this billion dollar brain this computer that organizes everything run by a, a man that
1: I feel like if there was if there was such a way now stay with me for this run by a man that if there was such a way to be racist towards southern white people this would be the way yeah like the, <laughs> the, you, mean,
2: you mean he would be the the like? He would be the racist caricature that he would put yeah, on a poster. Yeah, this, this would be
1: like the like. Oh, it's offensive to show that picture around here. Kind of, thing. You're of course, talking about General
2: Midwinter. Yes, I whom am. It, whom at some point I confused and thought his name was General Midsummer, but uh, no, it's Midwinter. Much more terrifying, though. Uh, played by, of course, the old man, Ed Begley Sr. Yes. Not the junior that we're all familiar with and love from Spinal Tap and other movies. Not Mr. Environment, Grandpa Environment. Grandpa Environment. I don't know if this guy liked the environment, but uh, he doesn't have that look about him. But who knows? Never know. You never know. But um, anyway. <laughs> we don't see him until about halfway through the movie either. Because oh. So what we have is we have Michael Caine as Harry Palmer. Harry's running a detective agency. Uh, the colonel shows up and wants him back, like like Chuck Norris and Rambo and every other fucking like movie. Chuck Norris and Rambo. No, Chuck Norris and Rambo. Like I was like, say. You know, like you know he's out, but he, the guy his, his boss needs him back. To say that is like the worst Mandela effect ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would have been quite the same. Oh, the sequels probably would have been that much different, but that first one, oh, that's such a good movie. Got folks, by the way. Let's see if you've never watched a Rambo movie. Most of them are fine, but like, if you want to see like a really fucking good movie, watch the original Rambo, which is called First Blood. Which is called Rambo, Last Blood, now <laughs> in theaters. First Blood is a fantastic movie that is still relevant even to this day. The First Blood is the deepest, as, as right. they say. But, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, Harry, they want Harry back, and Harry doesn't want to do it. But then he gets a phone call with orders from a computer, it seems. Jason, let me
1: ask you a question. Yeah. Now, I'm I'm assuming you didn't look it up, but I'm going to
2: ask you. No, go ahead. This computer voice. Sure. Did
1: it sound s- s- familiar at all?
2: Was it the voice of the Guardian of the Edge of Forever in Star Trek? Don't know who that is. No, okay. I don't know who it is either.
1: You don't know who it was? It's someone we've talked about on this, po- on this it, podcast uh, before. Uh, Stanley Baker. He was in, ladies and gentlemen, the voice of that robot. Everybody's waiting. Yeah. That robotic voice was Mr. Donald Sutherland.
2: Oh. Yeah. Really?
1: And he plays a scientist in the laboratory, and he has one quick line, and that's it. I didn't even notice. it. it I wouldn't have noticed him being in it or his voice if I hadn't read it. <laughs> he must have been very young. Yeah. Well, just think of how young he was in Animal House, and that was like
2: 10 years after this. Was he clean shaven? I think so. Was he the scientist when uh, Leo was trying to, like— uh, uh, fuck with the machine he's like oh i just got to check the rotator or whatever
1: no it was a different one i don't okay. remember exactly which one but i know you're talking about it and that
2: wasn't him so harry decides to do what this computer tells him to do and uh, uh and it involves picking up a package and delivering it to helsinki in finland for 200 pounds which i guess in 1967 you know harry needs that kind of money and so w- he flies out there to Helsinki. Yeah. And he just, he loves Helsinki. That's <laughs> that just all you got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just, that's it. That's a, it's a travelogue for the rest of the movie. Uh,
1: uh, it's 1570 to Paris for the, for the rest.
2: Yeah, but so, so he gets involved in this thing and he meets this, his old friend Leo, I guess. I don't know. Was Leo in the last movie too?
1: Uh, no. No. And Leo is played by
2: uh, Carl Malden. El Schnazzo himself. Yeah, Carl big Malden. Big nose. Yeah. That's, the, that's a shame that that's what that guy will be remembered for. Wasn't he also Quincy? Or is that somebody else? Dr. Quincy Medicine Woman? Oh, uh, that's Dr. Doctor Quinn Medicine Woman.
1: Are you sure it's not Quincy Adams? Quincy Me- hold on a sec.
2: Hey, Siri. Who played Quincy, Medical Examiner? that That's not what I said. Quincy, Medical Examiner. Oh, that was Jack Klugman. Mistress. I guess I always confuse Jack Klugman and Carl Malden. Well, what a relatable
1: comedian you are. <laughs> You ever sit there and you're thinking of a Carl Malden movie, and then you realize, idiot, that's Jack Klugman. Am Jack I right? Cl- Did Carl Malden ever have a TV series? I'm not going to ask Siri. I just want to ask you. Work with me, people. Um, yes, he was on the show, uh, Rosemary's Baby, the, the show.
2: Oh, sounds fun. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a comedy.
2: And in doing so, our hero Harry delivers this package and then gets involved in a whole plot. Uh, uh, where he is eventually then reabducted by MIA5 and recruited to work for them to infiltrate uh, an organization called the Crusade for People's Freedom or something. Nazis. Basically. Like,
1: there's a lot of Nazi imagery.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The, the big boss, the, the general Midwinter, runs an oil company, and his logo for the oil company, he has two logos. He has, like, a personal logo, which looks very much like a swastika. And then he's got the company logo, which is very much an iron eagle. Well, and let's not forget, too, that the first time we see him, he's
1: yelling in front of a bunch of people with, like, with like torches. Yeah, and there's, there's like,
2: flames going off in the background, and he's got this, like, eagle-looking logo, and he's like, screaming about communism. It looks like a Klan rally. Yeah, it, yes, absolutely. And he's wearing that, like, southern gentleman outfit with the, like, like, the kind of ropey tie and everything, like kind of like Colonel Sanders. Yep. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's not exactly subtle, no, this movie—that's the—that's another big
1: thing too. It's like if I had to compare this with the Ipcrest file, there's nothing about this movie that's subtle. There's nothing about this movie that's nuanced. I think this movie is basically like this is it. This is it here. This is what we're doing. You're
2: doing it now. I, mean, I kind—I like that too, to some extent. I like this. This is like a pro, This feels more like the stereotypical '60s like spy movie, mm-hmm. uh, uh, more so than Ipcrest or even Doctor No did. Yeah. Like, like those definitely help set up the genre, but like the thing that Austin Powers or whoever would call back to feels like it would be this movie. In some ways. I mean, there's I mean it's not like we see like like babes in outfits like doing dances and shit to you know, like 60s music or anything, but well, I mean, I did. I you must have not looked away at that I, time. Did I look away at that time? Was was mm-hmm. a- and you're doing like a fucking she was like holding her nose and doing like a dance. Naked. Make a little love.
1: Get down tonight.
2: Get down tonight, baby.
1: Yeah, I actually do, um, I want to play a clip here um, of the voice telling them what to do. Because, like you said, he, and then he ends up, you know, he, after this whole thing goes down in Helsinki, uh, he basically, Ross is like, no, you're working for us now.
2: Now, here's the thing. This movie was made in 1967, Brendan. Nobody really understood computers outside of people who work with them. So, but I think the implication here is that this is like a remote terminal of a of an even bigger computer, which is in Texas, which we see a lot of, well, we see the Honeywell plant anyways. Um Uh, So it's like an outlet of that and that the computer itself is managing this entire business and scheme. The Mm -hmm. computer itself is just managing everything with all of its fucking uh, reel-to-reel data tapes and, you know, punch cards. It's taking care of business. So I think that's what they're going for. It's cool. I, I like the look of everything in this movie. Um, but yeah, let's hear the let's hear this computer talk.
1: Yeah, so this is the computer uh, basically telling Leo and uh and, and Harry what they're what they're what they should be doing.
2: I will say it sounds cheesy, but like the way that they do this computer voice is probably how if they were doing a computer voice at this time, they would do it. While they had done some synthesized voice like you would probably record somebody saying a bunch of words and then just string them together and then it would sound like this.
3: Confirmed. Palmer fully operational. Is code name Concerto. Issue standard equipment. Use code H one one three base Helsinki. He will report to Texas for indoctrination in three days. Understood. Confirm. Yes. Orders for Piccolo opposition agent will arrive on depth of Russian church on Kanavaka 2 at exactly 1,600 hours today. Wearing military uniform, eliminate. Confirmed. Yes. Report back 1,800 hours today.
2: I think what I really like about this computer, and it just struck me while I was watching, is that it it reminds me of of the 60s Star Trek. It reminds me, there's there's an episode of the Star Trek No, no, don't you dare do that again. There's an episode of the Star Trek. There's an episode of the Star Trek. I was watching the Star Trek! Trek. There is an episode of Star Trek called The Ultimate Computer, where Dr. Daystrom comes aboard the Enterprise and installs the M5 Multitronic Supercomputer, the idea being that it could replace the captain of the ship, and he's got a voice that is reminiscent of that. And same with the flashing lights and the clicking and everything. It was very 60s Star Trek. Were you going to do a Jerry Lewis just now? The clicking and... Ah, lady... No,
1: I wasn't. Oh, okay, good. Doctor Frank. (laughs) Yeah, Jerry Lewis is a big fan. Yeah, so the so that's the computer that tells them what to do. It's like their boss, their billion dollar brain. We find out it's Um, a lot of
2: money in nineteen sixty seven.
1: Jason, I now when I say plot, I don't mean the whole movie. But can you tell me the the villains' plot because I don't fully understand? Well,
2: that's a good question, Brendan, because I'm kind of confused too. The so the he wanted to he basically wants to free the people of Latvia. When
1: you say he, you mean? Uh, General Midwinter. Midwinter, okay.
2: Midwinter is a ridiculously insane anti-communist, like like hardcore. Uh, although, oddly enough, he hasn't left Texas in the last twenty-five years because the air elsewhere doesn't agree with him. He just likes the air there. But he believes that the people of Latvia, which is one of the Soviet republics, is crying out to get out from under the thumb of communism, and he's willing to help them. And he believes that he has a bunch of agents in place in this country. Ready to go at a moment's notice. But of course, we learned that, that uh, uh, Leo, uh, Harry's friend, has was actually been grifting uh, the general by right. claiming that there's like all these agents in the country and he's just skimming their pay. He's just pocketing the money. Yeah, just pocketing the money because he figures, ah, this guy's never going to do anything. But yeah. this guy's fucking crazy and he wants to do something. Oh, yeah. He's a nut. And, and as uh, Michael Caine points out at one point, or rather Harry Palmer points out, he's like, look, you do this and then four minutes after you do it, we're all dead. So it doesn't matter. Or actually, I think he points that out to Leo because Leo's like, well, don't you want your money? And he's like, the money's not going to matter. We're all going to be fucking dead. <laughs> this is going to set off on nuclear war and that's not cool you know what that's a hard stance to take well i'm taking it nuclear war not cool i'm gonna say it put it up on a poster in my classroom well you teach i do yes uh i'm teaching kids about uh how nuclear war is not cool (laughs) that's a very specific course it is a very specific course and i said like you don't want me to teach anything else and they're like nope just that you got to get that through to these kids one hour a day four times a week uh 26 weeks out of the year Okay. So I'm doing my best. Well, I
1: <laughs> I, I I should uh, mention this to you. Now, not, not only am I doing my review on you for the podcast, Jason, I'll actually be reviewing your class this afternoon. Oh. And by this afternoon, I mean, if you're listening to this in the morning, it'll be the afternoon or whatever day
2: you're listening to this on. That's right. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if that's a wise idea, but you're welcome. I uh, Thank you. Movie. Movie. So... Yeah, so he wants to invade there, but he but then they have these eggs that have diseases in them, and they want to infect a bunch of uh, Russian army units so that they're you know at a commission, so that when they invade, but they only have six eggs. Yeah, I guess that's enough.
1: I don't, I didn't understand that, and I also didn't understand how like if he's trying to just get these people to attack
2: the communists. I don't think the eggs are going to make the difference in the fight. No, but they would help out. If you could take out some major military units in the process, that would make your job a little easier. But it also seems like a very small advantage in what is a very disadvantageous situation. Because you have the might of the entire Red Army ready to bear down on you uh, within days of you trying this. And it's clear that while he does have a pretty formidable force as far as what can be assembled by an individual he can't take on an entire nation state, especially one that managed to hold up against the Nazi war machine. <laughs> well,
1: Jason, I just want to say this though. We talked about midwinter, but you know what? We should just hear him. Let's just hear his rant yeah. because this is a cartoon
2: oh, character. Yeah. No, this, he, he, this, is, this is intense for sure.
3: Come here. This is my master plan to immobilize the red army and Latvia itself. Take good care of that son. Thanks to you, Harry. We have quite a supply of viruses already in Latvia, but, gentlemen, we need more. Leo, I want Professor Iwitt working full-time on those viruses. Get into uniform and program it immediately. Whatever you say, General. Harry, you're going to learn to spread those viruses and you're going to learn quick, because my brain says the hour is at hand and my brain is never wrong.
0: You mean you really are going to try to start a revolution?
3: When the Hungarian people rose up in 1956 and they called to the world for help, to our everlasting shame, we failed them. I tell you, boy, we will not make that mistake again. When the people of Latvia rise up and call for help, and they will, my organization, with all its resources, will be right there. And once we have shown the way, the United States government and all the governments of the free world will follow. I know. If you go through with this, General, there won't be any free world. Are the Russians afraid? Tell me that. I don't believe they are, General. And why? I'm leading a crusade, son, a world crusade for freedom. Why? Because I love. It's as simple as that. I love my country. Do you understand me? Do you understand me, boy? Yes. No, you don't understand the kind of love I have for this great country of ours. Love's not built that way, my way anymore. These days, love is marriage, and the compensation is alimony. Love, these days, is bravery under fire and the compensation is medals. Love is a donation to party funds and the compensation is a political plum. Love is some lady you left back in St. Louis, or a fast haul in the backseat of an automobile. My love is nothing like that. My love is this great company of brave young men who are proud to make their country strong. I want my country to win, and the way to win is to strike hard and to strike first. I love my country, and my dream is to make the thing I love strong. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. Strong, 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 strong.
2: So, I mean, he's a little outspoken. Yeah. Nationalist is a is a mild word to describe him. It's it's nuts. He he's, and and you noticed during the the video there the the reminiscence of the logo of the oil company to an iron eagle mm-hmm. nazi party and he's going on this rant that sounds very like like loud and nazi and, and very nationalistic and, and anti-communist because that was one of the ways the nazis certainly positioned themselves was as anti-communist crusaders and and would have been more than chuffed if we'd have all joined them on a crusade to destroy russia but we didn't thankfully we didn't help those germans no
1: no. Well, we thought about it, but you know.
2: But like this, as you and you also pointed out during the video too, this is only like 22 years after the end of World War II, and they use the Nazis as villains. But even then, like you think back to that era, like you, you, you Brett, and you're familiar with professional wrestling, I assume. Uh, vaguely. Uh, well, in professional wrestling, the Nazi heel was a classic trope for many years. It was an easy go-to if you wanted a character to get what they call in the business, heat. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to to be disliked. Uh, You don't see that as much anymore, though, and I wonder what happened.
1: No, and then, unfortunately, it became more the foreign heel, the heel mm-hmm. that doesn't speak English.
2: Yeah, the Iron Sheiks of the world, although he spoke English just in very aggressively.
1: Iron Sheik, of course, you got your classic former world world champion, Hakushi. Don't forget Kamala. Kamala. Uh, one-man gang.
2: You <laughs> from Africa. No. Nope. <laughs> Canceled. <laughs> Sorry, I, I Akeem the African dream, I should say. That, you just made it worse. <laughs>
1: I have a uh, a general question about the, about this uh, this this movie. Sure. The character of Harry Palmer. Yeah. Is he dumber in this movie?
2: <laughs> because he feels dumber. Well, if, I wonder if he's that desperate for money. If that's the reason that he's going along with this and he's having financial problems. And then eventually being drafted into MI5.
1: I just felt he's really dumb at the beginning of the movie because at the beginning he's given that voice message. Mm. Right? Which, like, you know, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't if a
2: computer calls you folks, don't just do what it says.
1: And you know what? You think Jason's making a crazy, is saying a crazy thing, but
2: computers call people. They do. And they tell old people that elections are canceled yeah, or exactly. black people. Yeah, don't don't necessarily believe the computer voice that talks to you on the phone. That's that's a good lesson to learn and one that Harry has not learned because it's 1967 and nobody thought about it. He gets a call from a computer and he thinks, well, shit, clearly I got to do it. What am I going to po- do, say no to the computer? Well, 1967 was also
1: the most uh, uh, pure and clean year for politics. Absolutely. So, Everything
2: was good, beautiful. Everybody was happy. No, there was no conflict.
1: No, they, that's what they say about the 60s. It was just easy going from 1960 age, to yeah,
2: 1969. Yeah. Everything was awesome. <laughs>
1: Um, but I was going to make a point there. And what was it? Yeah, so he goes with that computerized voice, follows it to wherever, uh, meets up with that girl Anya.
2: And immediately, like, starts making out with her on the boat to where they're going.
1: Which I'm like, you don't know if she's Poison Ivy.
2: Yeah, who do you think you are? James Bond? Fucking back off, Harry.
1: Even that's ri- even for a James Bond movie, yeah. that would be ridiculous, that's very though. very forward. Because she doesn't really say anything. She just kind of, like... Hey, I'll show you where this place is. And he's like, mm. "Yeah,
2: like what? And then of course when they arrive, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, the thing on the boat, don't tell him about that. Now I wonder if maybe oh, that's, she's a- married to Carl Malden. Yeah. Well, she-, is she married. I think they're just with in a relationship. Him. Yeah. yeah. He's with him. Um, I wonder if that's just like the sixties, if that's reflective of the kind of position that women were in, because in this movie, we don't really have any female characters besides her. And her position is basically the sultry female agent and doesn't really do much. Also, although she does at the end, I suppose she does, but,
1: but it takes a while to get yeah, there
2: yeah it's all her plan all along but
1: <laughs> but also though um is when she she says oh no go ahead go on in like she lets him in the house first yeah. and he just fucking goes yeah yeah you don't think you'd trust this woman behind you like maybe she's got a knife or a needle like i don't know i feel like he was a lot smarter in the ipcrest file hmm.
2: but maybe that wouldn't have been conducive to the weird plot of this movie or the the many double crosses
1: oh so many double crosses <laughs>
2: But yeah, so he hooks up with Leo and yeah, they, they, they join this thing with the, the general and, um, I guess the computer they're, they're trying to uh, destroy the communism and it all culminates Brendan in an invasion of Latvia. Uh, the general has raised an army of fellows in which I, at first I thought they looked like James Bond, like henchmen. Uh, but also it was white they were in white military uniforms and they were going across a snow plane so it's like okay i get you that makes sense maybe have helmets that are also white though instead of the gray ones that would then stand out against everything else white but who am i what the fuck do i know also uh i wanted to say his uh his security uh, general midwinter's security that all wear the cowboy hats while his army <laughs> looks like batman henchmen or sorry let me try that again. While his army looks like James Bond henchmen, his security looked like Batman henchmen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like they're really they're really running that theme of the cowboy shit. I
1: was confused at first because when his when his henchmen showed up in cowboy stuff, I was like, are they just like performers, <laughs> the actors? <laughs> yeah, and then when they started like doing doing like work, I was like. That's not practical. No. Like, who is that for? <laughs> like, there's nobody watching this show. Just, just be in your uniforms and get to work. Yeah, he has, a, he has a real real vision for how he wants everybody to look. I want everyone to look like a cowboy. So, the only thing I don't like about cowboys is that the worst starts we'll see, just like Kami. That's right.
2: So he crams all his soldiers into oil tr- converted oil trucks uh, uh, that have been converted into troop carriers, and they begin to head across the frozen ocean, to a land invasion of uh latvia and the idea being that these these fake agents that are there are like sabotaging shit and getting people all riled up so that when they come in uh they'll be able to you know kick shit off real easy uh but that but they're not there that's not happening this guy's crazy and he just wants to do this so they're like they start driving across the water and of course what happens they get attacked by the soviet air force brendan on ice Mm -hmm. so what happens they all sink into the fucking ocean Glug glug glug. And like this movie, I, I like this movie. It's a silly sixties movie, but man, when the, when the Soviet Air Force attacks and puts them all in the water, we have some horrific scenes of everybody drowning. Oh yeah, it's it like, doesn't, it, it's dark. It, it is dark. People and fighting with each other and scrambling and trying to get up and then like slipping into the water and like. So apparently,
1: it's um, all these shots are a visual reference to a movie from like you know I'm sure you've heard of. You heard of the filmmaker, like, Sergei Eisenstein?
2: Uh, The Russian guy? Yeah,
1: who did, like, Battleship Potemkin. Oh, so is this, like,
2: a reference to that?
1: Not that movie, but it's a reference to a movie he did called called Alexander Nevsky. Mm. And in that movie, there's a similar scene where they are, like, kind of go down in the ice. And it's almost identical.
2: Okay, so he was Quentin Tarantino-ing it before Quentin Tarantino was uh, uh, knee-high to a grasshopper. Oh, keep in mind, Jason,
1: this is Ken Russell. Yes. And Ken Russell, as we learned, is a weirdo.
2: He is a weirdo. And, and, but, but this movie's not that weird. This movie isn't weird like uh, uh, Women in Love. Or, uh, I mean, not The Rainbow was super weird, but. But it's a little bit weirder it a little than a regular weird. spy movie. It's well, a little bit weirder. Well, especially like we we played that speech earlier and after that uh, speech that General uh, Midwinter gives, it goes into this weird trippy sequence of like fucking cutting between him ranting and raving and like this uh this like carnival going on and shit on fire and it's nuts. It's it's very it's very intense. So for me even
1: early on there's something that alerted me to the fact that this was kind of, this was an odd there was odd choices going on and that's in this opening scene where we have Harry and Leo talking about like what the job is. Yeah and the music in the background at the same time while they're talking and i know it's me- it's is in it the scene anya who's playing on the on the cello or the yeah. double bass so if it's in the scene i think it's called diegetic, diegetic right that yeah that is correct so there's diegetic music going on but it's still very a very odd choice yeah.
0: How you gonna have them, Leo? Scrambled or fried? Did you
3: open it? Harry, you're wasted in London. How about you and me working together again? Okay, Leo. What's the job? The usual, only more money for everybody. Yeah, what's the catch? No catch. All right, who gets killed? Nobody gets killed. I'll take care of you, what do you say? There's no catch and nobody gets killed. That's
0: right. I'd still like to know more
1: about it, Leo. It's weird. Yeah. Right? It's like, I'm like... It's a strange vibe. Well, when I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, so normally in a movie, if I'm hearing this, I'm like, okay, the movie wants me to be unsettled. But I'm not that unsettled
2: (laughs) because of the scene? I guess because we know this relationship is going to be fraught with trouble throughout the course of the movie. It's kind of maybe implying that this isn't like some solid foundation that's going to result in them both getting rich. You know, it just feels very like horror unsettling. Yeah.
1: it's like. Okay, um, the vibe is weird, but yeah. So there's a there's some a little bit of like Ken Russell weirdness, and actually Michael Caine said in regards to the movie, he said, "I think uh, this is a good quote here. Let me pull this up. You you up. entertain
2: the people." Hey now, Brendan's right. just pulling up this quote, so we're just gonna sit here and talk to each other. How you doing, Brendan's ready to go. Let's do this.
1: Uh, so Michael Kane basically said uh, Ken Russell working on this was a mistake because he said, Russell is an emotional genius, but Billion Dollar Brain is a highly complicated thriller which needs a draftsman. The last thing you need is an emotional genius.
2: That's a good point, I suppose. It, it is a complex movie that is hard to follow sometimes.
1: He also called uh, Ken Russell a bit of a lunatic, <laughs> and he said uh, he was the least ideal man to do a thriller because it was what he has is his passion to make thundering great messes. Um, and and uh, and he also said Michael Caine wouldn't shut up about Ken Russell. <laughs> he said Ken Russell lost the story somewhere, and no one could care no one could care or give a damn about what was going on because they couldn't follow what was going on. However, he said I do respect Ken, and I'd love to have done Women in Love. He turned it down because he did not want to do nude wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> but Oliver Reeb was like, "Yeah, I'm in." Oliver Reeb is like, "My career is like just beginning, kind of, right?" I'll take it. I'll take
2: whatever I can get.
1: (laughs) Carl Malden might have the worst comb-over in the history of cinema.
2: That's fine, though. It it suits the character, I would say, because he's a bit of a greaseball. And by that, I don't mean he's Italian. I just mean he's he's, he's a greasy guy. (laughs) He also probably, I think, honestly,
1: I will say, I think he's the most
2: realistic character. He does come across as pretty genuine, yeah. Because, I I mean, like Kane,
1: yeah, sure. But, I mean, Anya is all over the place. I don't know what's going on with her at any given moment. She's very femme fatale. Yeah, and like um, we talked about, midwinter obviously as it was a cartoon. cartoon. Yes, absolutely. So I think Leo might be the most grounded.
2: <laughs> well, he he's definitely the guy that's trying to play this for his advantage, which you would expect, right? Um, and do you know, like, what is your what is your history with Carl Malden? Like, do you know him from a lot of stuff? I just know the name is a cultural reference. I don't even, I couldn't even specifically because I, like I say, I thought he was Quincy, but no, that was Jack Klugman. So, I mean, I I know him from On the Waterfront. Okay. He's uh he's the pre he's the priest. He's literally just a guy I know from like monologue jokes on late night talk shows, I would say. <laughs> and Michael Douglas doing an impression of him on a a
1: 1980s episode of Saturday Night Live that he hosted, right? From wow. that? No, but wow. Oh, sorry, no, my, not Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas was the host of that episode. Joe Piscopo was doing the impression. Okay, that maybe makes a little more sense. A lot of prosthetics. Oh, I actually have to talk about. So we talked about uh Anya a little bit. Because she, we find out by the end of the movie, she was secretly working for the Russians mm. the whole time, which is like, okay, look, like, <laughs> I don't know if that I really
2: mean, was that crazy to, to, like, I was not surprised by that.
1: I figured she was something, something like that, and where Leo really
2: was the bad guy for the most part, and Midwinter obviously. Well, Mid- Midwinter is the bad guy ideologically. Leo was the bad guy in the sense that he was trying to fuck everybody over just to get out with his own uh, nut,
1: right. But, um, but Anya, uh, of course, uh, that actress actually who plays her had a very tragic story. Oh, um, her name is uh, Francois Dor- Dorliac. I'm sure, that's the pronunciation. Probably, yeah, it's it's surely right. She uh, she died like 13 days after the filming. This, wow, something like that. Like she she died when she was like 24 years old. What happened? Uh, and she got she got into a car accident. Aww. She was like a, a female James Dean almost, a
2: Desmond Llewellyn type. President Llewellyn lived a long life. He did, but he died in a car accident at like age 85, which oh. fucking sucks. It's like, if you're going to, oh, it's like, oh, you lived that whole life and then a car accident kills you? Come on. Is that what happened? Yeah. Hmm. Um,
1: and yeah, so I just, I thought I'd just bring the room down. Oh, talk about poorly. how sad that is.
2: I didn't know that. And the movie would have had a much more sad Paul if I'd have known it. So thank you for not telling me. Paul Walker, Texas Ranger.
0: Yeah.
1: Walker tells me I have AIDS.
0: Oh,
2: He does. Thanks, Haley.
1: Is uh, the is the billion dollar brain device any crazier than the Ipcress device from the Ipcress file? I'm I'm not saying that as like Ipcrest a sarcastic Device. I'm not saying that as like a sarcastic. Oh. Like I'm not saying it like a, was it any crazier?
2: But like I honestly want to know. Well, like, I mean, a little. I would say it's less crazy just because in um wait you billion think, dollar brain or sorry. You think in, this is less crazy? Yes, yes. Because in Ipcress, it was like a brainwashing machine in this it's just a really powerful computer and in modern times it's not crazy that you would have computer systems that would help manage and organize tasks and help divvy those tasks out to people i mean it was a little out there maybe in 1967 but i mean assuming you're not assuming that the computer is like thinking and running everything like they talk about it kind of like that but like it's clear that the computer is an organization tool and is, is, is making sure that the task that it needs done for the goal that they needs the goals they need to accomplish are being sent to the right people at the right time.
1: I mean, to be fair, I think that, I don't know, I feel like the Ipcrest device may have been more realistic. I know it's crazy that the thing, this thing like hypnotizes people, yeah. but I do like the idea of like, because remember they took Michael Caine in that room and conditioned him over like weeks and weeks and weeks of like torture, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I found that was more, I thought, I thought that was a bit more grounded than like,
2: ma, oh, I got this
1: supercomputer. I mean, that's the that Soviet armor don't belong to you.
2: It's not grounded in the sense that as a person who is familiar a little bit with computers, I know that the, the, the computing power at the time would probably not allow this sort of, of computing uh, uh, power. The computing power would not allow this sort of power. Brendan is posing as I continue to talk and, and, and drown here in my own words. I guess what I'm trying to say is that while you might be able to do this stuff today, you probably couldn't in 1967, even with a billion-dollar supercomputer. Are you done? Correct. Thank you. That was just for me, folks. I'm just sitting here listening to you. Ah.
1: Who, who, who are the people?
2: Good? Who do you believe, people? Me? Who do you love? Me. I want to say two things. First thing I got to say, Brendan, I told you this outside. For the second week in a row on this podcast, my God, or at least second movie in a row, we have another member of the "Are You Being Served?" cast show up in this movie, Brendan, the great Milo Sperber, who, uh, uh Famous internet online troll. So, in the, yeah, so the Milo Sperber, who in this movie plays the leader of the group that uh, um, Harry hooks up with and they stage that robbery, mm-hmm. which I thought was funny because they, they, they drive that truck off the road and then they go and they rob it and then he's like, oh, we're trying to make it look like a real robbery and then he pulls a gun on him and double crosses him, right? I thought it was funny that it was like, that was kind of like the action scene of that moment was them just driving that truck off the road. And I thought, whoa, if, if this was a different movie, if they made this movie today, there probably would have been like a 10 minute, like the chase sequence of them trying to chase this truck down and get it off the road and then steal from it. But, but yeah, Milo Sperber replacement, he played Mr. Grossman on, are you being served? And what's interesting is that the three, the three, are you being served actors that I specifically remember from our, our run, um, uh, uh, Alfie Bass from Alfie who, uh, 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 was in that movie. Um, and then the guy from last week from uh, 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 Oliver and then this dude, Milo Sperber, they all played the same role essentially on Are You Being Served where it was the older salesperson after the character of Mr. Mr. Granger who had been there for a couple of years. He had left the show and I assume died. Uh, they replaced him sequentially. So weird that I saw those three guys specifically. Mr. Grossman, Mr. Goldberg. In the same order? And, and Mr. Tibbs. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually. Well, no. Probably not in that order but like I, th- I think maybe Mr. Tebs was first, and then Mr. Grossman, or then Mr. Goldberg, and then Mr. Grossman.
1: Don't forget Alfie Bass also in uh, Lavender Hill Mob.
2: Folks, what I'm yes in Lavender Hill Mob as well. Folks, what I'm trying to tell you is is that uh, I want to talk about Are You Being Served, and if you've watched that show, uh, please let me know. And at some point, I will assure you that I'm going to force Brendan to watch some episodes of it. I've been thinking maybe uh, uh, the best episode I can think of and the worst episode I can think of. That'd be a good, uh, a good mix.
1: Well, there you go. Jason, do you have anything else to add before we get into our bits and bobs? No. Okay. Wow. Uh, I'm a little scared. Please don't hurt me during the commercials, but we'll be right back with uh, bits and bobs. Oh, yeah. Age
3: of radio. Mm.
1: If I had some bits and bobs, if
2: I had some bits and bobs,
1: I'd want you to tell me about Billion Dollar Brain,
2: or maybe the Ipcrest file,
1: maybe a little funeral in Berlin,
2: or the bullet to Beijing, is that one of them? Or whatever the other one is called, bits and bobs, bits and bobs, bits, bits and, and bobs. bobs, but not a real green dress, Vrendan, because that's cruel, I called you Brendan. Have you considered changing your name to Brendan? Jetpack. <laughs> Bits and bobs, Brendan. There's a kitty right at the start. That makes me happy. Oh, he's gone. I thought he could hear me from the sky. Get back here, you. Let me let me page him. Hello, I'm answering you on my pager. That's not right. You can't do that. There's no microphone in a pager. Uh- in Republican
1: heaven, this is, what, this is what pagers do.
2: Oh, right, because pagers are for douchebags, so that makes sense. <laughs> are you coming back? I got bits and bobs. Yeah, uh, somebody keeps bothering.
1: No, Marilyn, oh. I'm Marilyn. I will not fuck you. Oh, God, Happy Marilyn. birthday,
2: Brendan Wallen. What were they thinking? And, and ben, the catchy. other podcast that I don't remember the name of. Oh, Marilyn. Yeah, I don't listen to it.
1: <laughs> anyway, yeah, come back, Jason. Thank you. Oh,
2: wow. Hmm. It's it's lucky you had that hole in your ceiling from before, right? From when Sarah Palin left, because she's still alive. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> All right, so there's a wait You, you any... don't want to know anything about Republican Heaven? No, I don't. I don't care. coming next week. I don't. Th- I, I like the audience. Don't care. Um, <laughs> wow. Dude, <shit laughs> on everything we stand for. So when the movie opens up, we see a door, Brendan, that says HP Detective Agency, and it didn't occur to me that uh, that, uh, that was Harry Palmer, but what did occur to me is if I was a bad stand-up comedian, how I'd be like, oh, HP Detective Agency, uh, the only detective agency that specializes in stake related cases, oh! And that's really funny for British people because they love HP steak sauce.
1: You know what's funny? I thought you were going to go I thought you were going to go the uh, Harry Potter route. Oh. Oh, oh, he's a freaking detective. By the way, all my comedians are Andrew Dice
2: Clay. See, now oh, I th- he's a friggin' detective. <laughs> now I thought he was a fucking wizard. Well, you know, an Auror is sort of a wizard detective, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, oh, what am I some dumb muggle? You got to explain everything to me. Uh, I certainly don't mean to presume, Mr. Dice Clay. Hey. Forget about it. Jetpack. <sighs> he went through the hole too because wow. he's Very not lucky. dead people, He's also not dead
1: living people it doesn't work
2: it doesn't work quite the same no uh but yeah so that made me laugh uh, also uh when the colonel is searching so it's the colonel that's searching through his apartment he pulls up his shoe he's a detective he's a literal shoe with a piece of gum on the bottom he's a literal gum shoe <laughs> <laughs> i never even noticed that uh he also pulls out some some files that he has in there like that as a detective that he would have pictures that he would have taken and there's of like a dude with a lady in a compromising position and one of the pictures that made me laugh is the guy going to punch the camera <laughs> Oh, I like that.
1: I also like, uh, it's maybe a little callback to when they were in the grocery store in the, in the, in the first movie. Is when he's like, he pulls out like a box of Kellogg's and he's like, oh, your breakfast cereal is doing your, or she says something, some British thing.
2: Yeah, something very, yes, right, right. The callback to the cord flanks. I didn't even think of that. So then we go into the titles. Uh, Which is it? it Reminds me of a Bond title sequence, but the music is very different. Like this isn't like a person singing a song. It isn't like a pop hit. It's very orchestral and a bit strange.
1: A very lazy Bond title sequence. Well,
2: there's some laziness to it, but I do like all the shots of the computers, um, all the equipment that they're using because this movie was shot at a Honeywell facility, and you'll notice throughout this movie that all the computers are branded Honeywell, uh, which is still around and makes lots of things. You did say my
1: name. Honeywell? I think he said all these computers are Brendan Honeywell. <laughs> Brandon. Brandon. Oh.
2: You're not a Brandon. You're a Brendan, right? But I thought I thought the guy's name was Brendan Honeywell. Brendan Honeywell. You are the, Yeah, it is. It is. Now My name speak. is Brandon Honeywell. And I love computers and uh, real-to-real tape. I <laughs> love computers, real-to-real tape, and lynchings. <laughs> That's right. Down here, we love hanging stuff. Not just people. Things, too. You ever, you ever hang a fucking bottle of whiskey? It doesn't matter none. You can still drink it. You ever hang a bolo tie from the tail of a fox? Who no! knows? All right, maybe we should stop with the hanging humor. <laughs> maybe twenty twenty
1: one is not the time for more hanging humor. Well, I've done my tight twenty five old hanging. I'll see you next week.
2: All right, thanks thanks, sir. Jetpack. <laughs> He's not real. He can't have a jetpack. You have to be dead and you have to be real to have Jetpacks jet pack. are getting out of control. That's true, that's true. I don't know if, we, I'm sure we've had fictional characters, but well, Thomas has been on. He's a fictional character. Hey guys, hoo hoo No, you get the fuck out of here. Okay, bye, Hoo hoo Fucking dickhead. Is, this, is the door open? <laughs> we've got everybody coming in here. This, <laughs> Jesus. We, 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 made the, we made the mistake of adopting Comedy Bang Bang's open door policy, <laughs> and this is what's happening. <laughs> Ugh uh back to the back to the bits yeah and the bobs and the bobs uh uh so yeah i said ed begley the old man's in this one he's great he's i've never seen the dude in anything he is fantastically insane in this movie and one of the most entertaining parts of the movie uh love the 60s computer magic i just wanted to say that because i wanted to sort of reference spinal tap also with ed begley mm-hmm. oh did you notice the x-ray foot viewer yes the the, the pedoscope. the what i think it was called a pedoscope. I oh, thought he said a penis scope. No. Well, I mean, you could put your penis in there, but, but this was the thing they had back in the day where you would put your foot in, like, in the shoe into this device, and you could see your foot in the shoe to see how it fit. Okay. Um, and I think they stopped doing it because they realized it was probably too much radiation to give to people on a, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Maybe save that for when you need it. Sure. So, uh, yeah, don't use those.
1: A uh, lot of painted nudity in this movie.
2: Yes, oh, it's great. It's great. Well, that way you don't have to worry about an R rating because it's it's you know it's educational. Oh, I should
1: notice another um, another uh, Ken Russell type shot is when we think Leo because Leo gets orders to shoot Anya, which doesn't make sense at the time. But then later we're like, oh, because somebody knows she's an agent, right? Mm. And he goes to shoot her, and we think he shoots her because we see her go like. Oh, we hear the gunshot but and it's it, just her at a hockey yeah, game it's
2: it's a cool it's a cool transition to her at a hockey game that yeah,
1: feels Ken me. Russell but also like very modern
2: yeah it was it was there's another uh, transition like that where um, I believe uh, uh, Palmer and Leo are sitting on a bench and it kind of pans down to the grass and then pans back up and there's like two like Eastern European ladies crammed in between them yapping mm, Mm-hmm. Just a, just a cool transition like that um, I thought this was a cool thing too but also it kind of confuses me uh a little bit so so when he meets up with leo he picks up the phone right and he's using the phone to call the hotel to book a room and he notices that on the phone there's a a sticker over top of the original sticker and he pulls and finds the original phone number that was on that phone and I'm thinking, wait, so Leo stole that phone from that house, is the phone number tied to the physical phone? I didn't understand that part at all. But because it because then he he is able to then pull up a phone book and somehow find the phone number in the phone book and find the phone like the person that it's connected to in the address. But it's like you just have the phone number, dude. Like how does how because the book is organized by name. So how do you find the phone number? <laughs> Jason, I'm not even convinced you said real things just now. Well, no, they are real things. Okay. But but how do you you you, you can't you the phone book is not organized by phone numbers. You can't just search it by the number. You you have to search it by names. But somehow he finds the, the phone number and then finds the name accompanying it and gets an address. Well, no, they
1: and have th- the reverse Yellow Pages app.
2: Surely they must. And then he goes to, and so and, and this is great because this is just reminiscent of the time. Like He's got like a map in his hand and everything and he's trying to find out where he's going because, uh, of course, no cell phones. And he finds a dilapidated house and that's where he finds the dead Dr. Connor who has a tiny little hole in his back and is frozen because it's, you know, Finland. Right. Uh uh, uh, but yeah, I I just uh, the phone thing confused me. Um, we I mean, we didn't mention Doctor Connor, but yes, he gets stabbed in the back, and then later on, uh, because Anya, he's the he's the agent that's set in he, originally. He's the original agent. Palmer replaces him, and then later Palmer tries to fuck Anya, and Anya tries to stab him with the same thing. Although to to point out, and maybe I'm jumping ahead of myself here, when she goes to stab him, she's at such an angle that it's like there's no way that she could get enough strength the way her angle is to be able to stab him. But she had to make it sexy, Jason. Yeah, she had to make it sexy.
1: She's uh, not a very good spy, apparently. I, I think um, there's some pretty surprisingly violent imagery when Michael Caine is with all those guys at first, like the counterculture, uh, counter revolutionary guys or whatever, yeah. and they all get shot the fuck up. And Michael Caine wakes up in the bathtub yeah. with all their bodies. Yeah, fuck, like like just on,
2: all the bodies on top of him, and he has to climb out of them. Like that's some that's some dark shit. That's like some jackal shit. Yep. Midwinter <laughs> has a Bond layer. Yes, he A Bond does, villain course. lair. Of course yep. he does with with his billion dollar computer and all the all the reels.
1: I like the idea that all of the messages they send out are are called postcards.
2: Yes, yes that is nice.
1: Oh, I, I love Okay, so the during the final bit where the midwinter midwinter these guys are in the tru- the trucks and they're marching their way in, right? Um they're like is there any word because they think the latvians have already risen up they don't know right and midwinter says like what's the word on the latvian uprising and he's and the guy's like well i mean i just gotta warn you there's there's no news of it so far and he's like well that's just another way of suppressing the real story about the communists. like he's so into this narrative well, and, that it fucks him over
2: and that's the thing is that watching this movie brendan is that it really resonated with me today because it's not that different what? from a lot of the. yeah i know i know listen to me though listen it's not that different from people today where, like, this guy is so fucking committed to his idea that nothing will shift him from it. He can't, he can't see the forest for the trees. He, he believes that he—and, of course, he straight up says, we have God on our side, and with God on our side, how can we fail? Like, that's how so many people have fucking died. Carl <laughs> uh, Malden also gets a brutal death scene. Yes, he does. Uh, he gets shot
1: in the fucking face. Well, I mean— but it's like blood. There's yeah. blood. There's blood that comes out. It's bad-looking blood, but it's blood. I mean, it looks like t- like tomato soup. Yeah, and it kind of or sucks that he. Uh, I guess
2: it, it's a shitty death, also because it's just kind of like, bleh. I mean, maybe it's more real that way. But he just gets mowed down as as uh, Michael Caine is trying to catch up with the convoy.
1: <laughs> he took he took advice from Michael Caine's death and get Carter. He was like, just do it real quick. Yeah,
2: don't make a big deal out of it. That's right. Uh, we, we meet a creepy scientist at one point who's got a uh, like a chin strap beard and that definitely means you're creepy in a movie Mm -hmm. and then Uh. he
1: later takes a suicide pill oh yeah because that stoke guy is gonna catch him
2: yeah yeah he's a loyal he's very loyal um i
1: uh my last note here is uh when anya says to michael kane after she's revealed herself as a double agent she says we would have made nice babies together (laughs) and then and then my last thing after that is chicks chicks 'Cause they get the eggs that everyone's ah, after. And it's, it's they're just
2: baby chicks. It's baby chicks. Even though the Russian guy's like, We got our own ideas on diseases. Ha <laughs> ha, here I have your eggs back. Yeah, JK, we took them. Oh, here's another gag for you, another bit. When um so when those uh when those resistance fighters or whatever double cross him, Milo Sperber is standing there and he's like, Michael Caine looks past him and goes, Oh, look out And he goes, Ha ha, I've never fall. I won't fall for that and then he turns around and there's actually the Russian guy getting out with his AK forty seven and kills him. Yeah, that's a bit. <laughs> it's a fun bit um i love when the, another bit when the guys come in like after he climbs out of the the tub of corpses he sees a russian guy come in who starts to change and then these other dudes come in and grab him and it, and they go over to the sink and they grab the the fucking like a rag and they start wetting it and i think oh they're gonna waterboard this fucking guy they're gonna torture him and they and then they grab it and then they just start cleaning him up yeah <laughs> uh so many good bits um Michael Caine's freckly back. That was real sexy when he was trying to fuck Anya. Okay. Like these days, like if you saw Channing Tatum's back, it would just be like defined muscle and just, or John Cena it would just be hard. But no, Michael Caine, just a regular dude. So I salute him. Oh, when, so after she tries to stab him, I really like the scene where they're struggling and the camera is moving in such a way. It feels like the camera is like literally being wrestled to the ground too. Like I I like that. Like it, it really is showing the the craziness of the scene and kind of the chaos of it. That's
1: one of the few moments that I think reminds me of Ipcress. Yeah, is the fighting there is a bit sloppy. And the other moment is it's very brief. But Ross gives him like a piece of paper and he's like, make sure you do it as a C one thirty three or whatever. Or the L one forty one. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm like, oh okay. So we go back to the whole bureaucracy yeah. bullshit. But that but that that's it. Like that never comes back. No, and, and
2: yeah, that's kind of unfortunate because I like that stuff, but. That's okay. Mm. Uh, midwinter likes to say the phrase, and he says it a number of times. My arm is long, and my vengeance is total. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which you know, is a pretty badass thing, thing to say. Are you, so
1: you'd say Midwinter, personal hero for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Uh,
2: the guy who has defined my entire life so far. <laughs> Clean up the streets, i all say. Uh, I literally wrote down here, Midwinter's speech wouldn't be at a place at a Trump rally.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Honeywell must have had a deal. Um, I like, so it's interesting of how different times are now because everything in these computers run on punch cards, which are these you know, little paper cards that you punch holes out of. And that is like the binary code that programs the computers. He literally goes over and pulls out stacks of the punch cards and then replaces them into a different spot. He pulls the physical code out of this program and puts it somewhere else. That's not something you could really do today. You would, it would be much more complicated for you to get in and get the code of a program and move it somewhere else. Um, I mean, you wouldn't have to do it physically, but like just the idea of like physically pulling those cards out that, that tickled me. Um. again the cowboys crack me up they look like Batman henchmen and also Anya is a hell of a shot because at the end of the movie uh, after you know when all the, the shit's going down she comes out of the train car pulls her pistol out and very accurately shoots and kills the two henchmen but then as but clearly she must have drank a potion or something that only affected her first two two shots from the gun <laughs> because uh, as the other two guys leave uh, she takes shots at them and completely misses them so they have plot armor, obviously, but her uh, her buff for shooting went went away. the The Nazis thing made me, you know, th- think of like they're like invading Russia, essentially, or the Soviet Union. It's Latvia, but it's part of the Soviet Union. It made me think of Operation Barbarossa, <laughs> which is when the Nazis invaded the Soviet Union, and we know how that went.
1: Oh, so wait, we're not talking about Operation Barbosa, the, no. the the time when uh, Barbosa tried to stop Jack Sparrow from ruling the Seven Seas. Uh, no. No, oh, okay.
2: Different altogether. Oh, um, well, what a what a rush! Huh? Eh? Eh? Yeah, and also this shows how fuck uh, you, Jason. So the end of this movie too shows how dumb the general is because he's trying to invade uh, a country. First off, that's stupid, and doing it across ice that's double stupid. But especially because he doesn't have any air cover of his own. Ideally, he'd probably want to have some planes in the air to help fend off Soviet planes from doing exactly what they did, which was bombing the ice that he was on. So that that was dumb. Um. And also, uh, so at the end of the movie, our, uh, his Russian spy buddy shows up. Well, we didn't really talk about we a lot. We haven't talked about him much, but he, he's like, ah, oh, remember that job we did? I owe you one. And he gives him some information, and they have some drinks together and whatever. He, uh, he reminds me of uh, a Rod Steiger a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, kind of, yeah. But at the end of the movie, he shows up uh, on the ice where Michael Caine still is with, with Anya. They have some words. And then he leaves. It just leaves Michael Caine on the ice.
1: Find your own way home, yeah, bud. Yeah,
2: hike back to civilization, bud. So, and that's what I have for bits and Bob's
1: and bits and Bob's and Bob's and bits for screen and country. That's the podcast. <laughs> all right, Jason. Well, I don't have a whole lot to talk about uh, outside of all that. Um, I will tell you that it made about one and a half million dollars at the box office, us dollars. So yeah, yeah it, it probably cost a, de- a decent amount yeah. of money. So I don't know if it made its money back or not, but as far as reviews go, one one sticks out to me, or two stick out to me for just being really vicious. Because yeah. the Guardian called it "quote just terrible." <laughs> um, the Observer said, "What rubbish it all is!" Wow. Yeah, it has about a fifty percent, I believe, on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's hmm. but it's not a lot of reviews though. So it's yeah. hard to really gauge. But yeah, suffice to it say, it was very much like it just kind of came and went. Yeah. But did you come and I go?
2: Did. And I did. Uh what what do i think of this movie well that, i think that's obviously what i said what do i think of this movie brendan well i i like this movie um is it as good as zip crest file no but I, I i don't know what it was i enjoyed it i enjoyed the whole the silliness of the computer of the cartoon villain like it was it was kind of a stereotypical 60s spy movie and i enjoyed the shit out of it uh, uh maybe that's strong but i really i i liked it i liked it a lot um and I'm interested, I probably should watch more of these movies to see if they uh, are as are as fun. But um, I want to watch what the ones with old Michael Caine. Yeah. Yeah. The later ones, the TV ones, mm-hmm. for sure. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There's a lot of questions in it and it's complicated in the plot and maybe not executed the best, but I, I enjoyed it. I like Michael Caine. I like uh, Karl Malden, um, you know. Everybody's entertaining in this movie. It, if, if you're gonna watch one of the Harry Potter movies, watch Epcrest File. But this is a good follow-up, I will say. So uh, yeah, check it out, uh, Brendan. Uh, you maybe liked this less than I did. I
1: wasn't a huge fan. Yeah. Um, I, much like you though, I didn't hate it. I didn't like. I i not even think I would say I totally disliked it. But I don't know. It just felt like a. It felt like. Going against everything the other movie was like it, <laughs> it did.
2: It did, yeah. It did kind of counter the idea of this grounded, uh, not as flashy character. It wasn't yeah. as flashy as a James Bond movie, but it definitely had some of those flashier elements. Still too close to it. Yeah. Like it
1: still felt more outlandish than like than like a, what I would expect a sequel to the Upcrest File to be. Yeah. Now, am I shocked that they went this route? No, because this was, you know, 1968. I believe this came out. Uh, Bond had, it was a few movies deep, and they were big. So, I'm not shocked that, like, you know, Harry Saltzman, who also produced the Bond movies, would go down that route. Um, but yeah. But yes, Jason, now next week we are going to continue this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to continue this series of a now for something completely similar. Yes. We are going to watch the 2003 remake of The Italian Job called Ooh. The Italian Job. Ooh. 2003. It's an Ed Norton in Marky there. Marky Mark is back. Yeah. The movie. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about that, and we might have a couple of uh, guests Ooh. coming back for that, so stay tuned. Um, but until then, Jason, they can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. They can find you on Twitter.
2: At Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Stop on by and give me a follow, baby. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for For
1: Screen. Dan Gundry. And we're on all the podcast apps. Uh, of course, our home base is Age of Radio, ageofradio.org slash For and Country. Check us out there. Uh, but until next week, until next week, when we talk about the Italian Job remake, um, I just have to say to you, Jason, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screen and country, well, I'm Brendan. Well, I'm Jason. Well, see you later. Uh huh.
2: We're going to Texas. and We're going to go to an oil field. We're going to go to a carnival, and we're going to set some shit on fire, and it's going to be fun.
1: And I'm going to get candy.
0: You came down to this southern town last summer. To show the folks a brand new way of life But all you've shown the folks around here is trouble And you've only added misery to their strife Your concern is not to help the people And I'll say again, though no, it's been often said Your concern is just to bring discomfort, my friend And your policy is just a little red Now ain't I right? Yeah, you right? It matters not to you how people suffer And should they you consider that a game You bring a lot of trouble to the town and then you leave That's part of your communistic game I detect a little communism I can see it in the things you do Communism, socialism, call it what you like there's very little difference in the two. Now, ain't I right? Ain't you right? Ain't you right? Your followers sometimes have been a bearded, bathless bunch. There's even been a minister or two.